You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God and then to function in the kingdom of God. And if you're here and you're sitting here or listening to radio or television and you do not have the assurance that in the next moment you'd spend eternity with God, you need to get your heart right today. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 15 of our study of the book of Romans, and Pastor Carl has been looking at how to have a life and ministry that God can use. As we rejoin him, Dr. Brogy explains that God uses people who are not ashamed of sharing the gospel, the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. People must hear of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. No one will ever become a Christian just by looking at your life. Remember what we studied back in Romans 10? Those four questions that Paul asked after he said, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, applying it to Jesus, will be saved. And then he said, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him and whom they have not heard? That's the unbeliever's problem. He cannot believe something he does not know and understand. The gospel must first be preached and heard. And then he highlights two questions underscoring our responsibility. And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? And the word here for preacher is not a technical word like of a pulpit preacher like myself. It's a non-technical word. It's used of every Christian, of a herald, of one who announces good news. No one will ever be saved just by looking at your life. They need to hear the plan of salvation. And Paul invites us in his passion to win the lost, to share the good news. But understand, on the other side of the spectrum are those Christians who talk, 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 talk about Jesus, but their walk does not match their talk. And they bring great discredit and great disrepute on the cause of Jesus Christ. They do more harm than they do good for the gospel. God doesn't want us to be cowards. God doesn't want us to be hypocrites. He wants us in both words and our works to live a changed life For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Would you like God to use you that way, to to see a pagan changed in both his words and his deeds? You say, well, pastor, God can't do that through me. Only God can do that. That's his point. Only God can do it, but he wants to do it through you. God is a sovereign, omnipotent God has chosen to deliver the gospel, not by the rock shouting the good news, not by writing in the sky, but through mouthpieces like yours, like mine, who are willing to deliver this great news. Now let's read verse 19. I want you to see, let's get a running start here. He says, it resulted his preaching of the gospel, his ministry as a priest, and the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, Notice, in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as El Rickham, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, what a combination. He speaks here of signs and wonders that attended his ministry. 
Now, should we as Christians today have signs and wonders? Should we perform miracles? Some Christians say we should, and some Christians say it's normative for the church. Not in Paul's theology, not in the theology of the New Testament. When Paul wrote the Corinthian church where false apostles had come in who tried to represent God, who said Paul was a phony, Paul was a Johnny-come-lately, Paul was not a true apostle. Paul defends his apostleship. Have I not seen the risen Christ? Yes, he had. Had he not personally been chosen by the risen Christ? Yes, he had. How do you know he had seen and been chosen by the risen Christ? He tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Listen, his point is meaningless if any and every Christian can do the signs, wonders, and miracles that he did as an apostle. No, Paul, like the other apostles, when the church is being established, had their ministry authenticated by Christ proven that he had called them and that they had seen him in his resurrected body because of the signs, wonders, and miracles done through them. Understand when Paul is ministering, when Paul uh, writes the book of Romans, he had not yet read John 3.16. 1 Peter, Jude, or James had not been written. In fact, Paul in his lifetime never read the book of Revelation because it was written after he died. And so the badge of authenticity of being called of God was his ability to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to raise the dead. And God in his providence gave the same abilities that he gave to his son, he gave to his apostles. Why? Because they were laying the foundation for the church and God's people needed to see that they were indeed God's spokesmen. We are not building, uh, we are not laying the foundation, we are not building on the foundation. And the real test and authenticity today of a pastor's ministry is not doing these so-called fake ministries that these shysters are doing all over the TV channels, but doing what God calls us to do as pastors, and that's to preach the word. It's our association with apostolic doctrine that marks us as God's man, as God's people. So Paul is in essence saying, look, it wasn't me. It was a God who was at work in me. You say, does God still work in power? Yes, he does. You may not do signs and wonders and miracles that were unique to apostles and apostolic delegates, but the same Holy Spirit who functioned in Paul wants to function in your life. Do you remember the promise the Lord Jesus gave, John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. In greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Now that's a very interesting verse. Jesus is promising that those who believe will do greater works than he did. Now if you read the Acts of the Apostles, which covers the first 30 years of church history, you discover that they did some special healings and miracles like Christ, but nothing on the scale that Jesus did. So what does he mean by greater works? I mean, what would be a greater work than having the blind to see and the deaf to hear and lame, paralyzed limbs to walk and even seeing someone raised from the dead? What would be greater than those physical healings, spiritual healings? 
They did spiritual healings on a level like the Lord Jesus never did. On Pentecost alone, on one day alone, they saw more people won to Jesus Christ than the Lord had in his his entire public ministry. That's the way the Lord Jesus designed it. He was laying a foundation with these apostles who are going to be pillars of the church. He built into their lives. Yes, he saw people come to himself, but those were foundational people, and they saw works like they like he never saw. And that's what he promised. In the short history of this church, we have seen thousands of people won to Christ and baptized. We have seen, by the grace of God, the greater works I mean, what is a greater miracle than conversion? I mean, I'm serious. Is there a greater miracle than conversion? Is that a a greater work than God even creating the world? Oh, yes, it is. As magnificent that God can create the world in six literal 24-hour days, and he did And this nonsense that so many evangelicals have bought that God has used the process of evolution to create the world is sheer heresy. It undermines the scripture. They put death before the fall instead of death after the fall. And they say, yes, for millions and millions of years, we evolved up to this point. Look, in a moment's time, what God took six days to do, he could have done in six seconds, and he will do it in a flash of time, the Revelation teaches. After he burns this car in heaven and earth, and he creates a new one, he won't do it in six days, he'll do it in a second. And he'll create us with new resurrection bodies in the twinkling of an eye. So what is a, uh, a greater work? It is the work of redemption, It is a work of God saving a devil-filled, sin-soaked soul and bringing him to Jesus Christ. That is a magnificent work, the magnificent work of creation. And that was a harder work for God. It was the hardest work he ever did because he had to give his son to pull it off. And so God could bless Paul's ministry because it was a priestly ministry. It was a powerful ministry done upon the Holy Spirit's power through him. Third, the Apostle Paul had a pioneering ministry. Look now, if you will, at verse 19. And the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as El Rickham, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. If you were with me eight years ago when we preached chapter by chapter through the book of Acts, you know that this one verse summarizes 10 years of Paul's ministry. It's hard to appreciate without looking at it on the map. It would be like today saying, I I preached the gospel from Miami, Florida to Seattle, Washington. He had this pioneering spirit. Listen to verse 20. And thus, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. He wanted to go to places where he was really needed. Now this word aspired has a lot of punch to it in the original. It's hard to capture in English. The, the New English translation, the Net Bible translates it desire. The ESV renders it ambition. The New King James renders it with a group of words, I make it my aim. In fact, the, the Greek word is the word philos. You've heard that before for love. And the word teme for honor. It, it speaks of an honorable love. Paul, in essence, is saying, I have a passion 
the, the honorable love of my heart, the driving force of my heart is to get out the gospel. He had an obsession, not just with the glory of God, but with global advancement. What is it that causes you to obsess? What do you obsess about? You listen to a person, and the things that they obsess about tells a lot about that person. One thing that Paul obsessed about was seeing people come to Christ and to verify the fact that he should have in his heart a desire to go and to give the gospel and not just to gather Christians, but to go out and to reach the lost. He backs it up with Scripture as he quotes from Isaiah 52. But as it is written, Isaiah 52, right before that great messianic chapter, the 53rd chapter, 52 is like an introduction into it. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. He's talking about going and reaching the nations of the world with the gospel. Now I wonder, maybe God would call someone here to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. When I was in India last year, I met more people who did not even know the name of Jesus. Do you know who Jesus? Never heard of them. Their population is growing so fast, in a decade they'll be larger than China. Now, God may not call you to some foreign land, but he may be calling some of you. There's too many people in the pews today where some need to be going. There are some in the pulpit who shouldn't be there, but there are some in the pews who should be in the pulpit who should be carrying the gospel to the world. But listen, he may not carry you to some pagan culture, but he can certainly carry you right here in your own Jerusalem to reach some lost neighbor, some lost friend, some lost soul with the gospel. And he can certainly use you as a believer priest in this fellowship to serve somewhere. Let God dream his dreams through you. Look at verse 22. For this reason, This desire to take the gospel where Christ is unnamed. For this reason, I have often been prevented in coming to you. Paul's saying, look, I've wanted to come to you. When he writes to the church at Thessalonica, he said, look, I, I I, I was delayed because the devil delayed me. But here he says, it's my consumption with the gospel. I am so eager to bring the gospel. That's why it's taken me so long to get there further. Verse 23, but now, with no further place for me in these regions... And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Paul told the Romans that on his way to Spain, he would see them. Why Spain? Because Spain was the furthest point of civilization in the European world. It was not even on most first century maps. But he tells them on the way to Spain, he wants to come and see them for two reasons. Whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing. One, to be helped on my way there by you. Helped on my way is one word that's used of physical sustenance, where someone gives you either food or money. This is the Apostle Paul writing a support letter. I need some money to carry the gospel to the world. But he's interested also, verse, uh, and by the way, he's never afraid to ask people of money. When he writes to the church at Philippi, he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I'm not afraid to ask you for money. Some of you are consumed with your 401 and your 403 or whatever it is you have. But some of the most important things in life 
things that amount to eternal treasure, your investments are all warped and out of whack. Your 403B or whatever it is will mean nothing to you when you're in heaven. But the people you win to the Lord Jesus will mean something to you for all of eternity. And Paul says one way in which you share in people coming to Christ is monetarily. And whenever you speak to a man's wallet, you speak to a man's heart because Jesus taught the things you invest in are a match of where your heart is. And so Paul says, I, I want to go to you in passing to be helped on my way. But he says, not until I have first enjoyed your company for a while. He said in the opening chapter, I want to go there to win some people to Jesus. And I also want to be encouraged by your faith and you by my faith. Paul was humble enough as a great apostle to recognize his need for fellowship. And here he says, I just want to come and enjoy you guys. I want to laugh with you and enjoy your presence. This world is so messed up and it's getting worse by the month. And if there's any people in this world who have reason to laugh and enjoy life, it is the believer who is on his way to heaven. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. He's planning to go 2,000 miles out of his way to help some of the Christian Jews there in the city of Jerusalem who are under a great famine. You might want to put next to this verse, Acts 11.27. It will give you an explanation. Verse 26, from Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution. You can read of it in 2 Corinthians 8. These people who were in poverty came up with an offering to help the saints in Jerusalem. They're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. The word contribution is the word koinonia. You know what that word is, fellowship. He's saying that the offering was more than just nickels and dimes. It was a fellowship. It was a sharing of life together. Verse 27, yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. Why were the Gentiles in Macedonia and in Achaia indebted to the Jewish people there in Jerusalem? He tells me, because or for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. They benefited from the Jewish people who gave them the good news of Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 Jewish people are saved. A few days later, 5,000 heads of household, excluding men and women. The first chapters of Acts, the first seven chapters, everyone who's saved is a Jew. Persecution comes in the church, led by this man of all people, Saul of Tarsus. The church is spread through Judea and Samaria, and then another persecution breaks out, and they're spread to the ends of the earth. And they come to places, Jewish men, to places like Macedonia and Achaia, and they tell them that Messiah of the Old Testament has come, and he is to be believed upon, and they're one to Christ, and their lives are changed. Are they still in poverty? Some of them are in deep poverty, 2 Corinthians 8, dispelling the prosperity gospel of our day. But they were changed fundamentally from the inside out. They found forgiveness and they are so grateful that their eternal destiny has been changed. They want to help these Jewish people physically. In essence, they're saying, look, we're related to you. We have a fellowship together. And this 
concrete monetary gift is an expression of our love. They understood that they were from one blood, that in ultimately in God's way of thinking, there was one race of people and there's one way of salvation and there's one Savior and one Spirit and one Lord who locks us all together in Christ. Paul will write in 1 Corinthians, if we sowed spiritual things to you, is it too much? If we reap material things from you, He's not afraid to ask them for money. And I'm not afraid to ask some of you who are giving a pittance to God to begin to obey God and to give 10%. I got a list of missionaries right now that we could support, that we could take on, who are carrying the gospel to the world if more of us would be faithful. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on my way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Not if I come to you, but when I come to you. Now, this is not recorded in the New Testament, but we know it happened because God, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, tells us it would happen. But not only do we have this statement by Paul, we have external evidence. A man by the name of Clement, one of the church fathers, wrote these words. And he, speaking of Paul, had been seven times in bonds, had been driven into exile, had been stoned, had been a preacher in the East and in the West. He received the noble reward of his faith, having taught righteousness unto the whole world and having come to the farthest bounds of the West, that's Spain, and having borne witness before rulers, that's Rome. He thus departed from this world. So you have an outside letter affirming the inside letter. You don't need it. But the fact that we have it affirms, once again, the accuracy of Scripture. Paul comes to Rome. If you remember, he's under house arrest, but then he's released. He goes to Spain. He comes back from Spain to Rome, and this time he's not under house arrest. He's incarcerated in a Roman dungeon, and there he will write First and Second Timothy, and he will, in essence, give himself as a priest with the ultimate offering as he's beheaded and he spills his own lifeblood for the gospel. Here was a man who dreamed for God and was used by God. When I was a new Christian, I, I read a book by J. Oswald Sanders. I've read it a couple of times. It's called A Spiritual Clinic. I read it in my first year of the Christian life and I read it 20 years later. And he writes in that book of a man by the name of C.H. Nass, a pastor who I've never heard mentioned anywhere else and could not find his name anywhere else. Listen to his story. He said, Reverend Nash retired from his principal's ship at the age of 70, but not to rust out. At 80, he received assurance from the Lord of a further 10 years of fruitful ministry, an assurance which was abundantly fulfilled. And by the way, in the next 10 years, Nash taught himself New Testament Greek. When he was nearing 90, I found him completing the reading of the sixth volume of Toynbee's Monumental History. And after his 90th birthday, I heard him lift the congregation into the presence of God in a never-to-be-forgotten prayer of ded dedication. Like Caleb, he defied the natural order and continued increasing in stature into old age. In my opinion, one of the most damaging pieces of equipment of our day is a rocking chair. I'm talking about a rocking chair mentality. And I am meeting people now, even in their 30s and 40s, who are basically saying, do not disturb, unavailable. 
Yet here's the Apostle Paul in his late 50s, maybe even 60 years of age, and he writes the book of Romans. He's headed for martyrdom. He knows it because Christ has already promised it to him. You can read of it in Acts. But he wants to go all the way to Spain and to preach the gospel. Does God have his favorites? Does God just say, well, I think I'll use a guy like Paul. No, God does not have his favorites, but God has his standards. And here, Paul was a man who had a priestly ministry. Paul was a man who had a powerful ministry in dependence upon the Spirit of God. And Paul was a man who had a pioneering ministry. He wanted to take the gospel to men and women and boys and girls who had never heard the name and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll see next time, next week, God willing, he had a prayerful ministry. Now, what kind of priest are you? You are a priest if you've been born again. Now, if you're not a priest, don't even try to minister. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God and then to function in the kingdom of God. And if you're here and you're sitting here or listening to me in Bluffton or through radio or television, and you do not have the assurance that in the next moment you'd spend eternity with God, you need to get your heart right today. You need to trust in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to save you, that he didn't die for most of your sin, but all of it dealt with all of its wrath, became sin for you. And if you will come in childlike faith, he will give you God's righteousness as a gift. You come to Christ today with your sin, and he will give you his righteousness. Now, our Holy Father, we thank you this morning. We love you for saying so much through your word, even in our day. And we think of this man that you used in such a magnificent way, that he would open his heart up to us by the Spirit of God to give us an inkling of what he was like, that we might learn from his life and follow Christ as he followed you. Help us to see that we are believer priests, that you've given each of us gifts and abilities, a ministry in the local church and a ministry outside of the church to take the gospel to the world. As stewards of the gospel, help us to be faithful with this good news. Help us not to function in our power, but in the power of the Spirit. Help us to depend upon him as a man would depend on air. And oh God, help us to care even in a pioneering way in our own ministry to the scores, to the tens of thousands of people in our own county who are not even in church today, most of whom because they've never met the forgiveness through the cross. So we have a new week in front of us. We recognize this is the first day of the rest of our life. May we forget our blessings, even our failures, and press on to what lies ahead. Help someone here today, my Father, who has never trusted Christ, to recognize that you cannot lie. You promise that whoever will call on Jesus' name will be saved. Thank you, you can make that promise because of what he did. Would you in simple childlike faith rest in the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the power of God to save you? Would you say in simple childlike faith, Lord Jesus, save me. And because you have saved me, I will openly, publicly, without shame, confess you before men. Father, help someone today to do that. Help someone who needs to obey you by putting on the symbol of baptism to take that step. And help some Christian who's been saved and who's been baptized, who needs a church home to come and join with us as believer priests. 
We ask it, our Father, for your honor and for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. To listen again to today's message from Romans chapter 15, entitled, A Life and Ministry That God Can Use, download the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program ROM70. And however you contact us, consider supporting the ministry of Search the Scriptures by either a one-time gift or perhaps by becoming a regular supporter. Your generous donation plays a vital role in providing biblical teaching and in helping to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Tomorrow we begin to close out Romans chapter 15 with a message entitled, Effective Corporate Prayer. Join us then as we search the scriptures.